Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, where filmmakers become entrepreneurs. With my dad, he's a dork. Hi, and welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. I'm your host, Scott McMahon, and this is the podcast where we try to help filmmakers become entrepreneurs. And I can't think of a better guest to have on today's show than Jeremy Franzen of Internet Business Mastery. And a few episodes ago, I had his business partner on, Jason Van Orden. And if this is a podcast where we're trying to help filmmakers become entrepreneurs, then this is the episode you really, really want to listen in on. So I've learned a lot from Jeremy and Jason over the years. In fact, when I first started to figure out how to do this internet business stuff, um, you know, you would go and search online and their website and their podcast would pop up as one of the top search ranked and both in Google and iTunes. And I just kept with them and just started listening to them and, and taking so much value from what they're giving. And that was sort of the, the concept for Film Trooper was to apply low-budget filmmaking and apply that to successful online internet marketing and online business techniques and see if you can't combine the two together in order to try to create a sustainable living um, through your art. Anyway, I don't want to take up too much time because it's some really great stuff and we want to just get right to it. Before we do, I like to apply a marketing technique taught by Jeremy and Jason on Internet Business Mastery. On their podcast, they tell you to go to freevideogift.com so you can get some really great training videos for free. Here we are on this podcast, and I thought, okay, so I applied what they taught, and I have one called go to freegearguide.com to get a list of all the equipment that I use to make a feature film with no crew, and you can get that at freegearguide.com, freegearguide.com. Okay, enough of that. Let's get in with the interview. This is fantastic stuff, and um, here we are, Film Trooper Podcast. I'm really, like, floored. I'm super, super excited that I'm here with Jeremy Franzen of Internet Business Mastery, and we're here on the Film Trooper Podcast, and this is actually my first Skype call. I've never recorded one like this before, but as you know, working online at home not to say you get, become stir crazy, yeah. But there's sort of a need for me. I need to get outside and um, socialize and interact with people, sort of face to face sometimes. And sort of that's become the thing with this podcast that I do is I just end up at some pub or some restaurant, and I just bring in a portable recording device um, with these obnoxious, you know, microphones that we use to eat and talk. And it doesn't matter how loud the um, the place gets the these speaker microphones you know pick up a very small range in front of you nice and it so it's a you know it's different than what m- most podcasts are which sound really good and professional this one just sounds like you know you'll hear the waiter and waitress come by and we're eating food and you know it's 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 all over the place <laughs> That's but anyhow cool. yes yeah, so i um interviewed your business partner jason van orden um, a few weeks ago, about a month ago, before he left, left Portland. I, I mean, it was just by chance that I got him right before he left to on his worldwide tour of uh, Europe with his family, yeah. which is amazing. I was trying to explain to other filmmakers, like, this is the dream, the dream of being an entrepreneur sure. is that you can live and work anywhere. Yeah, lifestyle and design. Design it to be whatever you want it to be. Lifestyle design. What's really fascinating is... You worked in the film business before, and I've heard you mention this before on your podcast, and I would love to just know and just share with the rest of us, what was that experience and what did you work? You mentioned you were an editor and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I, I actually started as an actor, 
And I, I, I'm not sure if I can really say actor because I was mostly just extra. Well, that's an actor. <laughs> you know, yeah. I got I got a couple of lines. Um, and as far as being like a professional actor, I, I did get a couple of things here and there before I moved on to production. And I did the assistant director um, path. And I, I got from sec- or from PA second second to second director before I went, okay, this is the wrong path for me. <laughs> and um, because really I wanted to be a writer and director. Right. Um, and I just literally knew nothing about the industry. So I just kept going, oh, look, I see a lot of actors being directors now. Maybe that's the way to do it. So I'll go be an actor because I was, you know, a drama nerd in high school and stuff. So I just thought, oh, I'll go do that then. And then I, I went, well, it makes sense that assistant directors would become directors, but that's actually not how it works either. <laughs> and so I got certain, you know, distance with that uh, before I found out that wasn't the case. And then just sort of inadvertently, one of my friends became an editor and he was like, wow, no more 20 hour days. I work eight hour days and I make three times as much as I made doing anything else. And he goes, and you get to kind of be the second director because, <laughs> you know, you get all the film and, or you get the, you know, what the director's vision was and you get to edit together into a film or, or a TV show or whatever it was going to be. And I went, oh, that sounds good. I'll at least do that while I make my little films on the side, trying to be a director. Right. <laughs> so that was kind of my path. So yeah, I ended up being uh, an editor and my, the final place I worked was at Warner Brothers. And I did television stuff, though. I wasn't uh, actually doing film. But that was kind of very, very briefly and very basically my path. And the whole time, I was making short films with friends and and doing all of the renegade uh, guerrilla filmmaking stuff all throughout Hollywood that, you know, a lot of us do that are into the filmmaking stuff. Right, right. That's really fascinating. It's uh, similar paths um, that I had, uh, like yourself, had gone to study uh, creative arts and arts in college and then got the filmmaking bug and wanting to uh, make films and then acting was sort of the, you know, the parlay of that. It just kind of happened yeah. um, a little bit before you got interested in production. Because I think as you probably discovered, being an actor or trying to become an actor, um, you are so reliant on somebody else creating a job for you. Yes. There's so much that's out of your control. And I know that's probably, if I'm guessing correctly, that didn't sit with you well enough that you're like, I don't, I can't see that working. <laughs> yeah, there were a couple of things that occurred to me as I was acting. I was actually good at the part that got you the job, which wasn't auditioning. Uh, it was knowing people, and uh, we called it weaseling, you know, getting ourselves <laughs> into places where we shouldn't be, but that's the, the key that got us the gig or whatever. Um, but the thing that was weird was the auditioning. I would go out to audition, and there would be every spectrum of me sitting in the waiting room that I'm auditioning against. <laughs> like from the most good-looking version of who I am I, uh... to, you know, uh, uh, whatever. You know, the even more plain version. I, you know what I mean? And I would go, oh my gosh, this is me. And, and there's like 40 guys and I would see them everywhere. And it, it just seemed so completely out of my hands. Uh, you know, even it didn't matter if I did a good audition or if I was right or any of that stuff. And, and that's what I, you know, figured out pretty quick. So I just got to know casting directors and stuff like that and send them gifts and all sorts of crazy <laughs> stuff to try and get stuff. Right. And, and it was weird because I ended up being good at that part as, as opposed to acting. 
I wasn't particularly, you know what I mean? Like I didn't have a passion for the acting, like the friends of mine that have, are still acting that maybe did shows and, and, you know, went on to do really popular shows. They loved acting. They were in every acting class, you know, they had a passion for it and it was just a means to an end. I wanted to direct and write. Right, right. So I was like, I'll just, you know, again, I was completely innocent. I had no clue. And and this was even in 91 is when I was doing Mm. this. So this was before internet and you can you know, learn stuff and, and, you know, have conversations like this with people, we would get on some show and try and talk the actor into going to lunch with us. Right. And, and then there'd be a group of us, it was a mastermind group, but we didn't know what mastermind group was then. And we would take the guy to lunch and just, you know, bean him with questions the whole time. How did you do this? And how'd you get an agent and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, but there wasn't, you know, anybody showing this kind of step-by-step path on how to do any of it. So I just had to kind of meander around trying stuff. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating. You mentioned about that, just the, the need to know. And I, I do recall, cause you and I are about the same age and I was, um, you know, in, in college about the same time, you know, dabbling around the early nineties. And, What's fascinating about the pursuit or the desire for those type of questions is if you ever go to like a film festival, you know, inevitably at the end of the uh, film in the Q&A section, um, within the first two questions, it's always, what was your budget? What did you shoot on? You know, how did you get the money? You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every like, time. No, there was never like a discussion about what did your film mean? What what did you what were you artistically trying to go for? Like nobody cared. Everybody wanted to know like how do you how do you what's the nuts and bolts of getting this uh, stuff done? And yeah, basically, why are you at the front of the room and I'm in your audience? <laughs> I want to be you, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, well, it's almost like uh, you know you've heard this the, the saying before. You know, everyone who made money during the gold rush were the people selling the picks, shovels, and the jeans. You know, selling the tools. Of course, yeah. And it's funny <laughs> because there was a time I think you know for many years and probably still to some extent you know Hollywood or is that dream factory, and then you see this sub industry of all these other um, divisions of like yeah. you want to learn screenwriting, you want to learn acting, you want to this. It's like this whole educational, informational uh, sub industry that yeah. is selling the tools for that dream, and and you only need one or two to make it, and especially in the independent film world. Um, there's a tendency to always uh, refer to like the one or two golden gems that just were out of the norm that made it. But that's just enough to keep everybody going on that dream. For sure, yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I, I knew that there were a lot of character actors that everybody would even know that uh, they actually made their living off selling uh, acting lessons and all of the stuff around acting. They'd be acting coaches and stuff like that. So it was that same kind of thing, you know, keeping the dream to the people that are just coming in going. Right. You know, and I had this a little bit, the conversation with Jason about his time doing uh, real estate investing. Yeah. And uh, I, I dabbled that a little bit, but that was sort of the same thing. Like you, you would just go to these um, meetups or sessions and they would show you the process of how to flip a house or, you know, find a buyer and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, cause you just need that one check to know that it worked or that one deal to make it work. But what happens is that you know, it's not sustainable enough. So what hap- what happens is those people that make a, enough of a living off it, they 
eventually make a training course or something. And that's where they make bulk of their money. Well, and I'll, I'll give you a story about that. It's the thing that got me into internet business. I was in one of those seminars. So it's a guy named Ron Legrand. So he's big in training about the real estate stuff. And at the end of, you know, maybe a three day seminar I went to, and I paid like five grand to go to this thing. Wow. At the end of it, people are kind of leaving and he's like, okay, that's it. Uh, and by the way, I have some more stuff to stay, say, but uh, you know, if you got to go catch your plane, whatever, go. And then he goes, so, so here's kind of the behind the scenes of all of this. And I was like, okay, what's this? I got to stay for this. Suddenly it triggered interest in me because I wasn't enjoying real estate, not even a little bit. <laughs> um, but that's what rich dad, poor dad told me. Yeah. You know what I mean? The book was like, uh, start a business or do real estate. And I was like, I don't know anything about business. So he's saying start a real estate business. <laughs> so I'll go do that. So anyway, I'm, you know, Ron Legrand's on stage and he goes, okay, so last year I made $2.8 million in real estate, which is good. That's good. And everybody's like, oh yeah, the few people that stayed. And he goes, but I made 26 million teaching real estate. <laughs> And I went, whoa, what is this? <laughs> so he was, what he was doing was pitching this totally cheap. It was like a thousand dollars or something. And I was used to paying five grand for this real estate stuff. So a thousand dollars was, I was like, I'm done. I mean, I want this because he said, I'll teach you the information marketing business. And he goes, most people don't take this. There were like 600 people here today and maybe a hundred actually take this course. But uh, he goes, I'll know which one of you are, are the smart ones if you take this, because obviously 2 million or 26 million. <laughs> and I, and I, I literally went and signed up right then. And that was the key to me getting started in the internet, internet business and internet marketing type thing was going to that particular event in the beginning. And it's like you said, you know, servicing the people that want the dream, <laughs> he was making 26 million compared to actually doing the business at, you know. 2 million or 2.8 million. Yeah, I, you know, and it's interesting because in the world of like film or media, as you know, it's we're, we're seeing two worlds finally kind of come together. It's definitely the independent film world has been um, pretty much leveled and is finally coming in the same playing field as if you're an online author or a musician. Yeah. Because the tools and the means to make a product are so, um, so less expensive. And it's, it's still mind boggling that, that anybody still wants to spend X amount of, you know, millions of dollars making a film, you know, but, um, yeah, just because the, there's so much a glut of supply that to, you know, to see that return is again, you're, you're, you're shooting for that needle in the haystack type thing or that yeah. diamond in the rough. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. So let me ask you creatively. Um, Obviously, you're a creative person. If you got into the film industry and you wanted to, you were being a, a, a writer and director of short films. You were, you know, working in the industry as everything. Was, you know, a director. I'm sorry, an actor, and then an assistant directors, and then editor. Um, did you find at what point in the in your online entrepreneurship um, journey did you find sort of that you were getting the same satisfaction creatively through your business? Well, I li I liked the idea in the business that I'm creating this journey, almost like this storytelling journey, but in real life. Ah, so that was something that was incredibly exciting for me uh, when that started to occur because you know I've got the writer's journey on my shelf. I, I've read the book many times, and I just I liked the idea of taking a real human being. They have this desire, and then I get to come in and you know in the whole. Um, 
writer's journey thing or Joseph Campbell, I'm more the herald. Ah. Like I love calling people to action. And I, I, I've taken that on my, we talk about a single motivating purpose and what basically directs and, you know, excites you. And that's where you have that value to give to people. And mine is inspire purpose-driven action. So I'm really good at that. And I do it naturally. That's just who I am. So I love taking that. Somebody has that desire. They have to at least have the desire. That's the key in our business. Mm -hmm. And I can, you know, basically spark that desire and show them possibility. Yeah. And and it's in real life. So that really excited me. So believe me, we, you know, um, talk about, and I think about all the time, the actual hero's journey I'm taking people on in business. Oh my gosh, I can't. You said that brilliantly because, I, as you know, I, I refer to uh, Christopher Vogler's book um, all the yeah. time in conjunction with Joseph Campbell's. And I even throw in there a little of um, Blake Snyder's book, Save the Cat. I was, try I was trying to get – I got Jason on that question, which is part of the story arc is we mentioned like you propose sure. you propose the ordinary world you're, so the audience understands what the rules of that world are. Yeah. And then you have um, – I, I like to throw in there Blake Snyder's Save the Cat moment, which is like your hero, your protagonist has to have some sort of redeeming action that they, they showed the audience that makes us want to follow them through this journey. And he calls it the Save the Cat moment. And I propose that question to a lot of uh, my guests, and it always stumps them because they're thinking like when I ask, well, what is your real life Save the Cat moment? Like, sure. can, you, can you remember a moment in time in your life where – you know, it's hard because you have to be not modest and just say, well, I actually did save a cat. <laughs> uh, yeah, nice. I already know what your, your save the cat moment in the bigger scheme of things is, is literally, I think, you know, thousands of people that you guys have helped over the eight years of doing Internet Business Mastery. I mean, that is, I don't know how many people have been able to come up to you and just say thank you. I mean, I've been listening to you for several years and it, to hear you now, I'm interacting with you. is kind of a trip for me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that is the funny thing about this is the weird star quality that comes with just me and, and Jason never even in the same room in our little home office recording this thing. And people have that moment. That's, that is really interesting. But yeah, as far as the save the cat moment, I mean, like that is what we do now. I mean, our entire, I don't know, our mission is is, you know, really helping people escape something they hate. Even if it's not as drastic as that, saving something they hate. But, you know, we found years ago, we read this thing that, you know, people that lose their house are just $300 more. Uh, they're just missing $300 a month to be able to save their wow, home. That's a good point. And I was like... That's crazy. That's just, that's so small. Like, so being able to help people even that are just looking for that, they're not looking for, you know, the internet business lifestyle per se. They're looking, you know, I just want to save my house and my family and maybe even have more time with them. Uh, that whole hero's journey of my own, I've been into since I was a kid and loving movies. I was like, I want, I want to live my life so that it is like a movie. Right, right. And so when I read, you know, uh, uh, I'm sorry, The Hero's Journey, you mm -hmm. know, Joseph Campbell and, and um, The Writer's Journey and that kind of stuff, not only did I love it as far as writing stories, but I said, I want this, this in real life. So there were different triggers throughout the years that made me realize that that's, 
that's what I wanted to do. And the internet business was just the next step for me because I loved the aspect of entertaining with story. Mm-hmm. But then I had this other side of me that I wanted not only them to walk out of, let's say, a theater inspired one way or another. Uh, I didn't want it to just simply be entertainment. I wanted it to be like life-changing inspiration. Yeah. So that's why it's been an amazing journey to move into the internet business because then I get to play with the same themes, but in real life. So I'm a little more of a, you know, controlling life person. I want to do it real life. (laughs) I want people to have that, you know, I'm taking this hero through a real adventure in in real life. That's amazing. That's you know what you mentioned too. It's fascinating to hear you. Uh, you mentioned before in some of the podcasts how you grew up like dirt poor, you know, and and so there's there was a drive within you anyway to to make it um, one to be creative and to to find that um, expression, and then like you said, yeah. attaching to that journey, the hero's journey, and then you find yourself. Working it and being and making a successful online uh, career, and it's you know to look at your 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 arc. This this is the story that you would read uh, as a hero's journey, and it, now you've like you said you've become that character. You've you know of the wise old man, the the wizard, you know that are now teaching others to some extent. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because I I definitely. Um... I don't know, the Morpheus character, Obi-Wan, whatever. Like, I, I actually still don't think I'm that guy. And actually, we, we just joked, Jason and I, and I have another friend uh, that we talk all about this. He's starting a show. And, and I was actually using The Matrix to help him understand who he is and who his co-host is and how to work that. And, and, and while we were talking about those, and I was like, okay, so you need to keep that role as Morpheus, mm-hmm. right? Your co-host is actually Link. Oh, like he's the guy that he's the technical guy. Like he, you know, was one of the programmers with Facebook and all this, you know what I mean? And I'm like going, and you have to remember those are your roles because you guys are mixing them up and you know, you'll shine more, you know, we're talking about that. And he's like, well, who do you see yourself as? And I went, oh man, that's a horrible example for matrix because I'm Trinity. <laughs> like she's the call to adventure. She's the herald, right? She goes in there and, right. and goes, okay, you know, you want to see the matrix? I got to get you to the, the mentor, which is Morpheus. Right. And I was like, oh man, now I'm Trinity. <laughs> but that is, that's the role I most identify with. And then within sense. the business, I'm actually the Oracle and, and well, and even, what I try and bring. I'm a little more the oracle and and the architect for our business. And Jason's very much Morpheus. And and it took us years to figure out who we are. Now I play some of the Morpheus role a little bit, but I most identify with the Herald and maybe the Oracle, trying to get people to realize who they are. Because in our business, you know, we're teaching people to basically take passions and things they're interested in and go out in the world with it. And that's how they're going to make their money, you know, creating value as who they are. Right. So I love triggering people to do that. Now, you know, which plugins to use on your WordPress blog interests me much less, even though I know those things. And thankfully, Jason is a master at that. He is the perfect Morpheus because he that's him. He loves it. He'd be a professor if, if we weren't doing this. Right. Right. That's part of his position. So, so anyway, that's, that's kind of the roles. <laughs> I can't remember your original question, no, but, but hopefully that answered it. You did. You know, it's fascinating you brought that up because you were basically um, 
touching upon the archetypes, the archetypes of story yeah. that are needed to, and why it works on our subconscious level, why it's important that whoever's making a particular show, um, whether or not it be a podcast show, a webcast show, a web series, or anything like that, to understand those archetypes, be clear about that uh, directive. Yeah. And it's fascinating you brought that up, but it's true how you guys work off each other. And, you know, I'm still trying to, I'm fumbling away uh, around my own, you know, as I just launched my, this particular business to find out my voice and my value. I mean, I, you know, I kind of have it earmarked, but yeah. you still, it's a fun part of self-discovery of like evolving into that until somebody just says, you're like that person or you, you know, you're this archetype and it works well for your platform. And, you know, it's fun. Like you said, it's the journey and boy, it's fun. It's super fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, you know, even if, if you're going to go in the world of your teaching, you're, you're still going to kind of be Morpheus, but it's definitely good to know the other character roles that you, you play and always keep in mind your audience is the hero in that journey. Yeah. And a lot of people forget that because a lot of people, I'm so sorry. There's a, a truck outside beeping. Oh, it's okay. If you, it's they, they got they got Christmas gifts that's off off to you. <laughs> and that's literally they just dropped off a whole bunch of stuff. I think the most important thing you brought up right here was that we need to remember if we are going to assume the Morpheus role in whatever informational training that we develop or have a platform for is that the audience must become the uh, protagonist, the hero, yes. and help them on the hero's journey. One of the things that I see people do in my industry is make themselves the hero. And it's, a, it's an interesting thing to see that because people, yes, like when you go to see a, a movie, you want to connect, uh, you want people to connect with the hero. I mean, most people write it that way so you can connect with somebody in the story so you'll take the journey and you'll forget you're watching a movie and you get into it uh, but one of the keys in in our particular business is yeah they're going to watch you and they're going to see different parts of your hero's journey or character arc but the key is that you're you're really showing them them yeah Right. It's the idea of what's in it for me. We've got to be very, very um, aware and constantly interested in the fact that we're taking them on the hero's journey. We're just characters in their movie. Yeah. That's some, oh, this is some great stuff. Man, that's some great, you know, observation and, and tips to give to everybody who's listening. That's awesome. I'm glad it's useful. It's funny because <laughs> right now I'm actually starting a new business and I'm taking it through our training <laughs> just to, you know, as kind of a case study and, and just seeing if we missed anything along the way, because, you know, once you've done it so long, there are things that you forget that that's a step. And so, uh, but it, one of the things is it's going to be more along the lines of positive psychology and personal development, where I take people through their entire life through the hero's journey. Yeah. So I'm really up on it right now. So you just happen to catch me when I've been thinking, okay, how do I help take people the whole way, not just little pieces of it or just internet business, right. but, you know, complete freedom, all, you know, mental, the whole journey. Uh, and I love this stuff. So, you know, when I saw your questions and you wanted to do this call, I was like, oh yeah, I'm <laughs> totally into this. This this is like the most exciting interview for me because it's not just business. There is some el other elements. Oh man, it's fantastic. Now, let me ask you, so we're at this sort of midway point here. What would, advice would you give? Because my platform is for independent filmmakers. Sure. And I, I really have this concept of what Film Trooper is about is 
taking the teachings that you and Jason have taught and a lot of other um, uh, experts about online marketing and online business that have, been, have proved that it works in for years now, and to take those strategies and those techniques and apply it to independent filmmaking um, and sort of really shatter the box of what that means. And I would love to know if somebody was, you know, you, you had that experience working in the film industry. If somebody's going to make their own independent film, what advice would you give them in terms of if there's a goal to try to make a sustainable living as a as an artist, either an author or a musician or a filmmaker? It's it's really almost exactly the same as business, and it's know your audience. Um, and I think that's a huge thing. The more you know your audience, the more you're going to be able to you know give them what they're looking for. And and I think the more I don't know, in tune with that you are, the easier it'll be to sell to them. So it's really, really similar, I think. So I have a a friend that, um, you know, still makes movies and he, you know, kind of on a smaller scale, really independent, where he has a very specific genre he makes films for. And it just happens to be kind of the Christian market. And mm-hmm. there's certain things that he does. And there's, and in fact, w- when we talk about it, I worked on a, a TV show years ago called Touched by an Angel. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, we would actually joke. It was very formulaic, of course, as, you know, a lot of television is. And there was like at, um, I don't know, let's say 32 minutes is the angel reveal. That's where the angel, I'm an angel of God, you know what I mean? And everybody would go, wow, no wonder you're so cool and whatever. And, and so it's funny because in his films, he has to have the angel reveal yeah. because he does, you know, Christian films and this kind of thing. And they have to be very specific. And so he is so in tune with that market that when he deals with the distributors, he knows what's needed, yeah. but he's able to still stay creative and enjoy the process of filmmaking, but you still have to know your audience. Right. So that's one of those things where, you know, if I was to kind of get back into the film industry again, I would definitely look at genres and get really good at genres now that I, I really had a passion for, um, and then get really good at it. Because the more you're going to know, like, let's say, you know, I mean, zombies are very big right now. Right. It's like, well, what hasn't been done and what hasn't been done that, you know, could really, really fit my audience that love these things? What do they want to see? Like, I'd go figure all that stuff out and still be able to ha- creatively make a film, but also make sure I've got my key points that the audience wants. Right, right. You know, it's fa- this is what's crazy about it. You were mentioning that there's the formula for, you know, um, Touched by an Angel or whatnot. It was at the 32-minute mark is when the angel was revealed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> when you mentioned that, I looked at the our recording clock. It was right at the 32-minute mark. <laughs> <laughs> and it is Christmas Eve. I don't know. It's just I weird. can't even help it. It's just natural. <laughs> I've been listening to too many story things. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, it's trippy, but uh, yeah, that, that's that's fantastic advice, and I think, um, but not only that, it's you know, I had a discussion about the independent film um, or media in general that we're making. It's almost like a uh, you almost it's almost like a commercial. Yeah, you're almost like giving it away for free. You can make some money off it, you know, as a commodity, but if you're going to have something sustainable, like you said, it's servicing that audience, but it's servicing them in all the plethora of ways to exploit that license that you own. And I actually wrote a blog 
called Hollywood is not in the film business, and they're in the business of uh, license exploitation. Yeah, very smart. Right, yeah. So the concept of it is you have to own the license rights to your work, and that means you cannot sell it to a distributor because you are going to write off, sign away all your rights to do anything like sequels or anything like that from it. Sure. <laughs> and it, But if you can own it yeah and then you can exploit it i mean merchandise and um you know other spin-offs or whatnot then then you are exploiting it to the nth degree but you're also servicing and giving value to whatever that particular audience or niche that you decide and and trying to get filmmakers and producers to think that way um is uh it's a hurdle right now. <laughs> well, it's it's such the early stages of this stuff because what I was telling my friend was, look, these films you're making, you need to have your core site and get an email list because, look, if you get 500,000 people on your email list that want your films, you can go directly to them. Like comedians are doing that. Uh, you know, albums are now just going directly to people and cutting out those middlemen. I, I, I'm telling you, no matter what it is, film or otherwise, if you have a, a list of, even if it's 10,000 people and a certain amount of them will buy what you have, you have a whole different level of control, right? And that's, you know, having that influence, whether they like you as a filmmaker or they like your genre, whatever it is, you know, taking that control, that's going to all be happening in the next 10 years and probably much sooner. But I like to kind of, you know, cover my base. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, the things that are happening, like I've recently um, invested in a film being done and, and it's such an awesome way to do it. It was on Kickstarter. Right. So Zach Braff, he's doing a follow up to Garden State and, um, you know, he put it all up on Kickstarter and said, hey, look, nobody's going to let me do this the way I want to do it. And, you know, I'm going to bring it to you guys. Right. You know, who wants to help make a movie? And it's it's so amazing. It was probably the coolest connection to a movie I've ever, ever had because the entire time he was making the film after I became a backer, he was sending what what's going to, I'm sure, be the behind the scenes yeah. stuff, you know, on the DVD or, or however he puts it out there. But we were getting it as it was happening. And even just little videos of him on set going, okay, yeah, this was tough and whatever. And I was like, oh, this was so worth the money. <laughs> and, and I didn't just give him 10 bucks. Yeah, you yeah. know, I wanted to like really be involved. Um, and so, so it was... Like that is so exciting to me being seeing that that's possible that somebody would, you know, go to the world and just go here, help me fund this movie if you're interested. <laughs> like that to me is, you know, and I know there's a lot of other ones that have have, have done it before and even since. Mm -hmm. But the fact that that exists should be just like this unbelievable excitement for especially independent filmmakers, because there's so many possibilities coming. You might go directly to again, like, let's say the zombie niche, you could email your list or tweet to your list saying, here's what I'm looking at and have them help with the process and be willing to fund. I mean, that's just so exciting that we can take out some of these hurdles, like you said, like distribution and, and more of these mainstream things and go directly to our audiences. That's crazy. You know, um, yeah, I remember hearing you talk about your um, dona uh, donation and contribution to uh, Zach Praff's Kickstarter campaign. And what's really interesting, I was mentioning to um, Jason, was that independent film community, there was like, there was it was so split it was so uh, vitriol on that because it's like uh, some people were like why is you know somebody anybody's famous coming into the they felt like Kickstarter was really for like 
indie indies were unknowns, you know. So there was sort of this jealousy um, backlash from it, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't understand why, you know, because it was like, yeah, you, the guy, you know, if if you know anything about anything, what you you think like just because somebody was on TV here and there is rich and famous or has it all set, you're, you'd be actually really surprised, <laughs> you know, that, but, you know, to try to raise that kind of capital, um, yeah, he, he did the right thing. It's like, I have fans. Would you be interested in getting involved with this? And here we go. And it brought a whole lot more attention to Kickstarter than, you know, the, the, the common man to Kickstarter than, than, than was previously before. Yeah. And that's a problem within the independent film world, unfortunately, in the communities, um, it's not as nurturing as I've discovered with the entrepreneurial space. There's something about the uh, people, you know, striving to become entrepreneurs that are just feeding off each other's positive energies that are trying to get, you know, uh, ahead for themselves. But they realize they're, they're, they have no choice but to help others. Where in the independent film sector, sometimes it could be very self-absorbing, very self-serving, and sometimes oh, I yeah. say there's. Um, oh yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's interesting. It's not as nurturing as you want it to be, and um, hopefully that will change. Yeah, it's a weird thing because I, I think part of that is thinking that everybody's fighting for this small pie or this big pie, but they just want this tiny slice, whereas the entrepreneurial the entrepreneurial world is just the whole world. Yeah. It can be anything. I mean, you can make some widget off off this one side thing and make millions of dollars with it. It's It just feels more bigger possibilities or something like that. Like you have to, because I actually don't have competitors. Yeah. I have collaborators. Like I, you can't do it that way anymore. Um, you know, a lot of our competitors, let's quote unquote competitors, are friends and even students. So, and we couldn't do that. We can't wall ourselves off and, and, you know, as if we've got this bone and we're growling when they come next to us, if we get anything, you can't think that way now. I don't think. No, actually you just hit it. That makes sense because, uh, the world of entrepreneurs is this mindset of, uh, the world of abundance where versus independent filmmakers still believe that they only, they have to get to one or like one of the five, six studios, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so there's this already built-in scarcity mindset that doesn't allow them to realize that they have the whole world at their fingertips if they just didn't go down the path that's been taught to them for years or that's still in the press. Like, this is how you, you know, um, get a distribution deal. Like, it's somehow like the distribution deal is the magic end-all, um, you know, pot of the gold at the end of the rainbow. But it does that's not the case anymore. And, and like I said, we're all learning new things and trying to get to the next level. Well, and honestly, that whole distribution thing, as far as I can see, and I, I know people that, uh, you know, I have friends that tapped into little aspects of that. That's like winning the lottery. And people don't want to think, understand that that's the case. I mean, that was part of it with the acting. When I got into the Screen Actors Guild, I went to their first little meeting, like the Welcome to the Union meeting. And they did this like unbelievable amount of time trying to get me to stop acting. Because <laughs> they, they did this thing like, oh, there are 26,000 active members just right here in LA, and there's 1,500 jobs. You're brand new. You should probably go back, back to Wisconsin or wherever. You know what I mean? Like, cause, <laughs> And I was like, what the? <laughs> I just paid a lot of money to be here. And the actor on stage, who's, you know, vice president or whatever he was, you know, role he was, was saying, yeah, you're just a competitor to me. Oh my God. Like, I'd go home. And I was like, wow, this 
is insane. But nowadays, and this is, I mean, way, way ahead of, I'm sure, the whole independent marketing or independent filmmaking stuff, but the idea of having a direct um, access to an audience or your audience or, you know, at some point it's going to be like that. And the the big companies or, you know, Warner Brothers and all these, you know, the big distribution centers are going to you know, really feel the heat once people have access to their own audiences because they're kind of the gatekeepers now and all of that's fading, I think. Right. In the same way as I'll tell you, I felt like I left editing at just the right time because I was still working on an Avid mm-hmm. and they were incredibly expensive and it, 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 there was that was the barrier of entry. Well, now my daughter's boyfriend is able to edit like I used to edit then on his laptop. Right. That's scary to union or, you know, to that world because now anybody can do it. There's no, that barrier of entry is different. Right. In the same way too, as what I was seeing before I got to Warner brothers, I worked for a while at E entertainment. And one of the things they were doing because editors are so expensive is they were taking a $60,000 a year, like associate producer and having him do rough cuts. Oh, wow. And they were calling it a predator and a producer editor. So they'd pay him this low, low rate, and then they would take what he did and give it to an editor for the final touches. Well, that's really bad news for editors. No, I'm, right? right, because then their value goes way down, and all of that stuff was very scary to me. Now that wasn't the trigger to make me leave, but I definitely see, you know, any of my editor friends. Um, some of them, the more freelance guys, are having a lot of trouble with that because they're getting devalued by the fact that the gatekeepers don't have the same power. Right, right. Yeah, and it's and that's good. That's good for independent filmmakers. That's good for all of us outside of the systems or whatever the studio system will use for filmmakers because we have a whole new level of control as content creators whether that's film and entertainment content or what i do there's we do a radio show this is insane (laughs) you know what i mean like we basically do a radio show in podcasting and no one's in charge of it but us yeah and really our audience is in charge but that's good. I like that connection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not a studio guy going, right. hey, I've got uh, this foo-foo dog and I want you to put it in your film. I don't care how you... You know what I mean? Like, There's none of that stuff. This is fascinating. It's uh, this uh, producer and uh, independent film advocate, uh, Ted Hope, he has a prediction that probably this year or next year, 2014 coming up, is that somebody, un- some unknown, is going to make a huge splash, huge success by selling directly to the to an audience yeah and once that happens once that becomes news then the the whole uh industry will shift because that becomes the next like we're going to do the same thing as you know um joe you know joe x or whatever his, his film project was because that once once that one successful story happens then the whole industry will follow and use that as like the um glowing example and then we'll we'll see a shift but um absolutely very interesting yeah it's i'm sure it's in the works i mean when louis ck uh you know sold his album for five bucks and made a million dollars personally without any sort of distribution other than his website that changed like 
the comedy world went crazy. Like now everybody's doing that as much as they can. Right. And things like the HBO comedy special, to me, that stuff is dying. They don't know yet. Now, luckily with HBO, it's a subscription model, which I'm more interested in, but they're still going to have to shift too. You can't package it with cable. People aren't doing it that way. Anyway, I could go off on that, but, (laughs) but, but doing that and like when, uh, uh, Trent did it with Nine Inch Nails, just sold the al- album directly. That kind of stuff is a killer to the gatekeepers. They just don't know it yet. Or maybe they do. I don't know. But right. it doesn't seem like they do. They're trying to hold on to that power. Well, us as you know, more of the smaller <laughs> players, we're not, you know, like with us even, we're not a part of CNBC or something like that doing these internet business shows. We're just us, two guys doing yeah. it. Like that just gives such power and magic to us you know, the independent people that I'm so excited about it. Like it's just nothing but good for us. That's amazing. And it's, it's, it is, I mean, you guys are doing it. And like you said, you create content in a different way, but you have a lot of content. And then let me ask you, do you, how often do you guys sort of reuse content or able to, to bring it back up in a, I guess, less glamorous way by saying that you exploit your own content? (laughs) I can't remember what number it is, but in storytelling, there's only X amount of type of stories, Mm -hmm. right? And it's all recycled. Well, in our world too, the part that I enjoy most is certainly the mindset stuff. And there's only so many fears that people go through with this internet business stuff. So finding different ways to approach it is kind of the fun for us. That's the creative part. Okay, well, people, they don't trust their own voice or they don't think anybody is going to care what they say. Well, how many different ways can we approach that and to try and help them get through it? Well, it's a lot. Like we can keep doing different things. Like it took us five or six years to realize that one of the big issues is that people were just going for the money and not understanding that fulfillment and you know, really tapping into who they were or are is the part that makes this stuff work. And when you're doing personality based internet business, because we're basically characters, <laughs> right? Like right. it's actually us, but it's still slightly a persona because our show is actually PG. Whereas in real life, I'm not PG, <laughs> right? But, but we made that choice because, you know, some of our students, they let their kids listen while they're driving to school. So I, right. you know, we made that decision, but we're selling a story. We're selling us as characters. Now, the behind the scenes is that we're Morpheus and Trinity and all that kind of stuff, but you know, it's it's all still story and we can approach the same issues in multiple different ways. I mean, after let's say the Matrix came out, they're still making movies like that. Yeah. Right? Approaching those same issues, whether it's futuristic, sometimes it's not even futuristic. So that's how it works for us as well. We can come up with different things. Like we got to the single motivating purpose, you know, just this last year. And, you know, we're talking about it in multiple different ways and will from now on, because that seemed to be the thing that's helping people the most is that mindset thing. So we'll approach that over and over again. Now, we don't directly, it's not the exact same show right? or the exact same thing, but um, yeah, as far as repackaging, it's it's just finding the different approaches because, you know, if we find, let's say, this X approach that we haven't done before, there's going to be maybe 32,000 people that, that identify with that particular approach and now we help them. So I just look at it like that, keep shifting and trying to find the story that really affects uh, the people and, and, you know, makes it so they can get through whatever that challenge is. 
Well, I have to concur. The single motivating purpose was huge. I mean, that huge for me, and I'm sure thousands of other people as well that are fans of you guys. And uh, so just to let you know, if you want some personal feedback, yes, it's working. <laughs> it's working. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, that seemed to be our little magic. You know, I, I know in that whole Joseph Campbell thing, the magic elixir you come back with, mm-hmm. this kind of thing, like that's definitely one of those we finally found. And we actually give it quite quickly up front in the story, or at least that's their first thing that helps them really, most of the time it helps them leave the ordinary world. But but that's that has been a power powerful thing, and we we get a lot of people saying that. I'm glad it was useful for you. Yeah, in fact, um, just just off a whim, I entered a contest, essay writing contest for copyblogger.com the, that site, and I used the the analogy. I, I brought that in uh, Christopher Vogler's book and um, Joseph Campbell and talked about the elixir because nice. the, the whole contest was about why being an online authority is important or essential. And I just wrote that, you know, it's our duty as heroes to go on to the inmost cave and defeat the slay the beast to get that elixir, to bring it back to the common folk, the villagers. And you need to do that. And the new platform is being online and being authority and bringing that experience and bringing that elixir back to people. And so you guys have done it, you know, tenfold. And I can't thank you enough. And we can wrap it up here, but if you want to... Give us just one bit of last bit of advice or anything, closing thoughts. Remember for um, just remember most of these people are probably like just independent filmmakers. And we're talking about indies, meaning like I got a camera and I could friends, we can make something, but how do I make a career out of it? Yeah. Well, I, I think that trusting your voice is probably the biggest thing in all of this. Wanting to go out to the public, let's say, or, you know, go to any sort of audience is trusting your voice and being okay with that. Because I, I think that that took us the longest to get through. Like, who cares what we have to say? Right. And that's with business or filmmaking or anything. Like, if, if you like making zombie movies, trust it. And maybe you go, oh my gosh, I like werewolf movies. Nobody's doing that right now. So I guess that's not very, do you know what I mean? Whatever that is, trust that and then get to know the people like you that love that. Right. So it's audience and trusting in your voice. And I mean, that works for internet business a hundred percent as well. And I, I would, you know, it, it's such a weird thing. I guess the other thing I'd say too, is it doesn't take that many people to make an amazing living doing the thing that you love. So for instance, in our world, we talk about how, you know, a hundred people, or I'm sorry, uh, let's just say a thousand people out of the whole planet, a thousand people paying us a hundred dollars a month is a nice start, <laughs> right? Like that's a hundred grand a month. That's amazing. So little numbers now mean a lot to any industry when you're an independent. Yeah. So if you have a list of 5,000 people that love your film, you could make a living off that depending on how you do it and understanding that also with film, it's not just the film. Right. Like I think that it, what I would do now is understand other avenues of income, whether that's behind the scenes things or even a membership site behind it. I mean, I, I know people, you know, we have students that, you know, somehow connected with the walking dead and they do a walking dead show right? and they got to meet the actors and they, you know, they're tied into merchandise and they're, you know, it's, it's a whole other world of, you know, you like this one thing, make it everything. Right. Right. right? Like they even have shirts, they have, you know what I mean? They, they make it their whole world. And they're making a living off of this. This is insane. Yeah. And, you know, for sure, I I agree. And I can't thank you enough. I think that's 
That sums it up perfectly. <laughs> Sweet. Good. I mean, I, it's funny. I didn't realize how connected both are independent filmmaking and, you know, internet business. It's all yeah. very much a similar thing, getting your voice out there and heard and possibly getting value exchange for it. I couldn't agree more. And I, I'm, I'm just floored to have to essentially end of the year with having you on as a guest and, and sharing us your elixir. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and um, nice. with that said, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. And um, again, thank you so much. All right, man. Well, anytime you want to talk about this stuff, I obviously could go on and on. So, well, I'd love to. I'll you know I'll keep you up to date with uh, applying what you guys have been teaching with, and seeing if we if you know what breakthroughs I have helping other independent filmmakers. And um, I can't wait to have that happen. And that concludes my interview with Jeremy Franzen of Internet Business Mastery. So, I recommend if you get a chance to check out what both Jason and Jeremy do over at um, internetbusinessmastery.com and the podcast that you can find on um, iTunes. And speaking of iTunes, if you stayed this long and you enjoyed what you've heard, please just log into iTunes, um, find us at Film Trooper Podcast, and leave a ratings and review for us. And I greatly appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks again. Thanks again.